Packers Daily with Jason Martinez. All right, here it is, your April 1st, April Fool's Day edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Martinez. I wish this was an April Fool's joke. It's not. The Flyers lose to the Buffalo Sabres, who lost 18 straight games. The streak for the Sabres is over. The month of March is over for the Flyers. It was not a good month. It was a horrific month of hockey. It was a horrific 33 days. I remember talking to Bill Meltzer on the podcast back prior to that weekend series on February 27th and February 28th when the Flyers were set to take on the Buffalo Sabres, both in Buffalo. And that was kicking off 19 games in 33 days. And then we know there were 17 games in the month of uh, March as well. And we said at that time, because the team was really up and down in performance, they were winning games, they had a really good record, but they were really up and down in the conversation. And we talked about the conversation, the process. They were getting out shot handily. They weren't generating a lot of shots. They were giving up a ton of shots, but they were winning games. And then the converse of that, has been where they're getting a lot of shots in games. I mean, for the for the 19 game segment in the 33 days where they didn't have back-to-back days off in between games, they outshot their opponents handily. Night in and night out for the most part. But their record in the 19 games is 8 10 and 1. They got only 17 standings points in 19 games in those 33 days. They set a new franchise record for the month of March. Most goals allowed in a calendar month since 1993-94. In total, 75 goals allowed in the month of March. Again, 8, 10, and 1 in that period from when they took on Buffalo. They started out great. Two 3-0 shutouts on the 27th and 28th for Brian Elliott and Carter Hart. But then the wheels came off. 5-2 loss to the Pens. You come back, you dig a hole against the Pens, but you get that 4-3 win. Then the 4-3 loss against the Penguins. 3-1 loss against the Caps, and so on and so on and so on. To 9-0 against the Rangers. 8-3 against the Rangers. Then you have a 2-1 game against the Rangers. Then you dig a big hole, and you got to come back in Buffalo. Dug the hole again. Too big to come out of. Ended up losing the game 6-1. All said and done, again, just 17 points in that 19 games. We learned a lot over that period of time. It's not what we wanted to learn. This is no April Fool's joke. But this team right now is reeling. They don't seem to have answers. And look, I understand it's hard, harder to come up with tangible answers now probably than ever before with the unique variety of this season. But like Elaine Vigneault has said, yeah, these are circumstances. They aren't excuses because – teams all over the NHL are dealing with it. Some are dealing with it better than others. Clearly, the Flyers are not. And since Tahoe, since their COVID break, they have not been the same team that was there at the beginning of the year. Not that that team, from a process standpoint, was where it needed to be, but they started taking on water, and they have not been able to use enough buckets to get the water out of the boat. And we're getting up against it now. The trade deadline coming up on April 12th. The standings not in their favor right now. They're on the outside of looking in. They're trailing the the Boston Bruins by three points. But Boston has now three games in hand 
We'll see Boston this week. The schedule going to get far more difficult for the Flyers than the teams that they just faced. They just had five straight games against teams lower than them in the standings. New Jersey, who they lost to. The Rangers, who they lost to 8-3 to and then won against 2-1. to Buffalo, they came back the other day and got the 4-3 overtime win and then the 6-1 loss. So in, in all those games against those teams, those five games against teams below them in the standings, they still, in those games, only got four points. Now it's going to be Saturday against the New York Islanders on the road. Then Monday against the Boston Bruins at TD Garden. Then back home Tuesday against the Boston uh, Bruins at Wells Fargo. And then again on the road against the Islanders. Then again against Boston. Then you get Buffalo. But then you got Washington, Pittsburgh, Washington, Islanders, Rangers. Then you have four straight with the Devils before you get two more with the Pens and, and then two more with Washington. Uh, I mean, it, it's a it's a tough schedule. They're in a tough division, yeah. But they haven't done themselves any favors. And the fact that they're in this position right now, and I, I don't know what the answer is. We're going to get to Twitter questions coming up in a minute. We're going to hear it from Elaine Vigneault in just a minute as well post game. I don't know what the answers are either. Is this a compounding? Because I've gotten this question a few times. Did they come back from COVID protocol and weren't able to get their game back because of attrition from COVID protocol, from the pause, not having practice time? I'm sure all of those are elements. Again, elements, not excuses. Other teams are dealing with it as well. They're not the only team that had a COVID pause. They're not the only team that's had a disrupted schedule or a more compacted schedule because of a, a pause at one part, part in the season. So I don't know what exactly the answer is. I have some definitive things that I believe, and we'll get to some of those in answers in, in Twitter questions, uh, like, for instance, about the coaching staff. No, I don't think you should fire the coaching staff. Uh, somebody had asked me during the game, is this on the coaching staff that they have such poor D-zone coverage? Is that on the players? That's on the players. Coaching staff's not out there playing. Did the coaching staff coach them correctly last year on D-zone coverage? I believe so. I don't think that all of a sudden they believe, hey, just leaving guys alone in front of the net or, hey, flooding one side of the ice with five players and not having anybody to mark the other side of the ice is a good option. No, it's players not executing. And you know this, everybody listening, in sports, when you play poorly, it can snowball. But you're professional athletes, and you're incumbent upon, it's incumbent upon them to get out of it. And they have not been able to. They've had opportunities to get out of it, like that 2-1 win against the Rangers, and start anew. But then it was one step forward, two steps back. I couldn't even enjoy the win the other night. And to live by the old mantra of, Never question a win, the 4-3 overtime win on Provorov's OT winner against the, the Buffalo Sabres because I was too angry at the first two periods. And then you lose to the Sabres 6-1 to one to round out the month of March. It's a new month. Does that mean anything? I highly doubt it. I don't think that the psychology of a player changes when the calendar flips to a new month. I really don't. Uh, I've Maybe it does. I don't know. But right now, this team is searching for answers and... It's going to be incumbent upon every player to come up with answers, the coaching staff to push them in the right directions to, once they come up with the answers, to put them into practice with accountability and a high level of play. And that hasn't happened in the month of March or through this 19 games in 33 days. But let's hear from the head coach. 
Uh, the head coach after the game met with the media, and here's what he had to say. Maybe when you see the same de- defensive mistakes over and over and the breakdowns, uh, do you start to ask, is it the players, is it the system, or something else? What do you think it is? Well, a lot of it, uh, my estimation, I started in the offensive zone. We were a little off on our execution and uh, gave them a couple of uh, rush opportunities. Uh, when they did have control uh, in our zone, uh, just a simple stick on puck uh, would enable us to kill a lot of plays, to stop a lot of uh, opportunities to get pucks at the net. We weren't good enough there, and uh, you know they, they made us pay for it. Hey, Lane. Um, at the end of February, you guys had the, the best points percentage in the East Division. This month, you guys went 6-10-1. and one. I guess, in your estimation, what happened to this team in March? Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to analyze the, the whole month of March here. Uh, you know, I, I feel for my team. I, I know we were ready to play tonight. I know our guys wanted to play well, wanted to do the right things. Uh, for, for whatever reason, like I mentioned, uh, offensively, we were not where we needed to be, and that led to rush opportunities. And defensively, we had a couple of opportunities to kill uh, some plays, and uh, we weren't able to do it. So uh, we weren't good enough. You know, we were going to have the first time in a long time where we're going to have uh, a day off and a day to practice and play. So uh, I'm going to focus on that, and I'm going to focus on getting this group ready for our next game. Just after that type of game, and, and obviously I know you, didn't, you don't want to analyze March, but how, how do you turn the page and make April, um, you know, a different script? Well, you know, we, we get an up, another opportunity to play, and I said this a little while back, we haven't been the same since our COVID stoppage, and we're, I'm aware of that. Um, but uh, we get a couple of days here to, to regroup. Uh, there's still a lot of hockey to be played. And we need to take it a game at a time. And, uh, you know, I, I, re- I'm, I really feel for our group tonight. I know our guys were ready. They were focused. Unfortunately, it wasn't a good night for our group. All right, Flyers head coach Elaine Vigneault addressing the media after the 6-1 loss against the Buffalo Sabres. Flyers now uh, three points back of the Boston Bruins, but Boston with three games in hand. Let's get to Twitter questions, and we start with Ash. AshlynNC143 on Twitter says, How much of an impact do you think the first multi-day break since February will have? So much of this feels mental, especially with the young guys. It feels like even an extra day of rest is an improvement. Well, they've only had one practice uh, over the past couple of weeks, and they'll have a chance to have a couple practices here. But still, you can't go to practice and push. I mean, you just played 19 games in 33 days. There is a fatigue factor. That's part of this as well, if we're just being realistic. But again, not an excuse. The The thing is, is they haven't had that. And when you start to tailspin, it's it's harder to get, about, get out of it when the games just keep coming. And that's what's happened. That's been part of the equation as well. Um, but look, what will the two days mean? I'm not sure. Elaine Vigneault opted to give Nolan Patrick... And Oscar Lindblom, the night off, didn't practice them either to have a full 72-hour reset. Both players needed it. I know a lot of people were really critical of that decision and that he decided to rest those two players. Um, But they do have more information than we have. They do a lot of sports science stuff with practice. They can see load levels, performance based on, you know, the the sports science stuff. I'm I'm no genius on it. But he's making an informed decision that those two needed a break with a lot of information that we don't have 
I understand you want to be outraged by it and, you know, putting Connor Bunneman in the lineup and, and uh, Carson Torinsky didn't wow you. I get it. But he's trying to do the best he can with managing guys, not for just the game last night, but going forward as well. That's part of the equation. I think on a rational mind, most of us could understand that. Uh, Patrick Bradley tweets in. He says, hard to believe this is the, te- the same team we watched a year ago with number nine, Ivan Provorov having a great season, five and six, Myers and Sanheim being referred to as gazelles on D on this podcast, which I did a lot. Uh, 79 was tremendous, Carter Hart, and even 62 was great on the four check, Nicholas Albe Kubel. How did we get here? Well, that's a great question, Patrick, and I refuse to believe that it's just Matt, it's just Matt Niskanen. Matt Niskanen was a good player, a great fit, I understand, but the, the step back after losing Matt Niskanen should not be this. So how we got here, I don't know. We're here. I can't worry about how we got here. If I'm, We can worry about it because as fans or people that aren't making the decisions, they can't worry about it. You can't go, how do we get here? How do we get here? No, it's got to be, how do we get back to where we were? How do we get moving forward? How do we get better? Uh, but how they got here, I, I'm not exactly sure. Other than some of the younger players did not take a step forward like we thought they would. And look, we didn't think they were going to take a step forward just based on optimism and being, hey, we're looking through orange-tinted glasses. We did that based on their performance and the progressive steps that they made last season and presumably we're going to make going into this season. That's the arc of a player. And some of them haven't. Most of them haven't. Joel Farabee has. Travis Konechny has not played to the same level he did last year when he was an all-star. Travis Sanheim and Phil Myers have been erratic and much less consistent than they were a year ago. Uh, there's a lot of players in that boat, and when you're relying on a young core of players to, to take that next step, it's a blow when they don't. Coupled with some of the veteran players have been very uneven throughout this season. And you know, you missed Sean Couturier's game for a while because he was hurt, but since he's been in, he's been good. But one man can only do so much. Other guys have been uneven. Jake Voracek's had uneven moments. Claude Drew's had some uneven moments, although I think overall he's been really good this year for the most part. And then I look at guys like Kevin Hayes is, doesn't seem to have the same impact that he had last year. Um, I, I, I don't know what it is with Hayes. It looks to me like he's not moving his feet as much as he did a year ago. He's not the most you know, beautiful skater in the world. He's not the fastest guy. His puck protection ability is really his game, but we haven't seen that on display like we saw that a year ago. So there's a lot of elements here. And when they all collide, that's the step back that we've gotten. It's been a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit there, a little more here, a little less there. But they've all collided at the same time, and that's why we saw the 19 games in 33 days that that looked like that, what we just saw. Uh, Mark tweets in, at Behaviorist on Twitter. He's tweeted before, a good tweeter. He said, what would your plan be moving forward for this season? So I guess if we're looking at my plan, I guess I'm the, I'm going to play general manager. I'll play general manager and coach. Uh, so my, my plan as the general manager would be I'm going to make deals, if I can, obviously, that only benefit me beyond this season. I'm not going for a rental. Because I think the rental market, A, is always inflated, B, is not great, and C, I have to be, I'm not giving up something for a flyer that I'm going to get into the playoffs and be able to do something. So anything I do 
has to have term beyond this year that solves a problem that I have either at the moment, and there's plenty of them, or a problem that is coming with either a player leaving or a player I'm moving on from or that maybe I'm putting into a deal. It has to solve a problem. I can't be making moves of redundancy. Kind of looking back at the Eric Gustafson move when you had Shane Goss to spare. So I'm looking at more moves that can help me on my blue line, especially my top pair. I have to move forward with a better solution there. That's going to be hard to do by the deadline. I think that's more of an off-season move. I've I've said that before. Uh, So that's my mindset going into this. And if I can't get those types of deals done at the deadline, I'm not going to overpay for them. I'll do that in the off-season after the NHL draft, at the draft, or after the expansion draft. That's when I think you'll see those kind of hockey trades happen. I'm not going to force it now just to force it. So I know that's going to make a lot of people mad. Chuck's not doing anything. What's he doing? He thinks this team is okay. He doesn't. N- nobody in the organization thinks this team is okay. They got eyeballs. They've watched it the last 33 days. They know that this team's not okay and that there obviously is some huge issues right now. And they're not just going to snap your fingers and they're going to go away. No. I mean, you have to look at everything. Does Is there talent on this team? Yes. Does it fit, though? It's not always just about talent. Does talent fit? That's what they got to figure out. Can you add more talent? Absolutely. And they need to. That top top number one D-man to play with Ivan Provorov is paramount. Doug Farber tweets in. He says, my problem is uh, that they have three head coaches. Despite limited practice, I think it's too many voices and things are getting muffled, especially on own zone coverage. Clean house or fire two. What do you do, and who would you keep in the second in the second scenario? Well, they don't have three head coaches. They have one head coach. It's Elaine Vigneault. He's the head coach. He's the boss. While those Michelle Tarian and Mike Yo were head coaches, they're not head coaches. They're there to support the head coach. So I don't know how you come to the conclusion, Doug, that you think there's too many voices and things getting muffled. I haven't heard that kind of messaging coming from any players or, you know, any hints of that in the media or anything. So I don't, I don't know that that's true. And I look, I think they're always on the same page defensively and what they want to do. Were they on the same page last year when they had, as you termed it, three head coaches? Yes. I don't see how that is part of it, but could a, could an assistant coach lose their job as a result of this? Of course. Absolutely. They're not meeting expectations. As far as Elaine Vigneault, should he be safe? Absolutely, I think he absolutely should be safe. I think when you look at the job he did last year, the accountability that he brings, the expertise that he brings, the type of coach that he is, why would you get rid of him? I know it's easier to get rid of the coach than it is all the players, but you don't get rid of the coach here. This is not the coach. This is not the coach not knowing how to coach. He knows how to coach. He knows what to do. It's not being executed. And, and he has juggled the lines, and for some, too many, too many times. And there's been a lack of cohesion. But when things aren't working, and they're not working at a glorious level, you have to do something. You have to make changes. Uh, BCB Jr. says, uh, same question I submitted before, unless instructed from the top to buy, would Fletcher consider selling instead? This team is rotten. Well, I think I answered, I don't know if I answered your question, uh, BCB. But teams aren't taking on players with cap. 
Now, you could sell a guy like Eric Gustafson because he's a tradable commodity. You're not going to get much for him, but you can trade him because he has an expiring contract and a prorated salary significantly less. You could trade Scott Lawton, who's a pending unrestricted free agent, and he would have some value. He's not going to bring you a tremendous amount on, amount on an expiring contract, but you could do that. Um, does he look to do that? Th- that'll be interesting. We'll, we'll see if he does look to do that because, you know, it's going to depend on where the team is after the next week. I know this seems like we're just putting off the obvious answer that we already know, but things will heat up as we get closer to the deadline on the 12th. Uh, Anthony tweets in spunky four one one eight two. He says, "Does it feel like they are overly aggressive early in games out of fear of digging a hole? Yet it happens when they do it. Uh, I don't f- sense that they're overly aggressive. There's been games where I think they've come out good, and then something bad happens, and they've collapsed. And then there's games where I thought that they didn't come out, and, and it didn't look like they were ready to play to match the intensity of their opponent." So there's no consistency to, to the way they've come out, in, in my opinion, which is an issue unto itself. Joe Baron tweets and he says, has AV lost the room? And that's a good question. It's one that's really hard to answer, Joe, because we're not in the room at all. I mean, all I can go off of is the same things you can go off of, is, is what you see in games. Has he lost the room? Um, well, clearly, no matter what message he's sending, it's it's not been working. And I guess technically that is considered losing the room. I mean, they waived Shane Gossesbear, who's been with the organization since 2012. That was a message, too. But the effect obviously wasn't great because you went out and you lost the next game to the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, has he lost the room? I, I don't know the answer to it, but I will tell you, this isn't going to be a situation, in my belief, where if he has lost the room, he's getting fired. Um, Hutch tweets in and says, what are your thoughts on Farabee on the fourth line and some questionable benchings? AV is one of the winningest coaches of all time, but he seems as lost as the players. Well, I mean, I explained why Lindblom and Patrick were scratched, that you know this amount of games for them just coming back this season, especially Oscar Lindblom. I mean, he went through six months of chemotherapy, had a rib removed, lost a lot of muscle mass. Nolan Patrick didn't play hockey for... A, a year and I think eight months before he played his first game again. So both of those players were scratched in an effort to give them a reset. As far as Farabee goes, I mean, you want to play Joel Farabee with skilled players, but he opted to, to put Joel Farabee in a, in a fourth-line role, and I, I'd rather see Farabee with skilled players to take care of that dynamic scoring ability that leads the team. But he, he put him on that in that position the other night, and he put him in that position in this game, and I think that's him, uh, pl- you know, kind of playing to the, hey, the veterans, I'm not only going to put you together on the ice, but you need to be the ones to lead the way. And they didn't get it done. Uh, Ryan Claggett tweets, and he says, what needs to happen? Nothing seems to be working for them. They've had a few comebacks, but overall seems to be no fight in the team. Lack of hustle, no teamwork, and just flat-out laziness. Uh, like you discussed with Kevin Woodley, seems to be no trust. It's an interesting word that you use, trust. And based on some of the post-game comments from Sean Couturier, you know, some guys are off, some guys, games are on, we're not all on together at the same time. You have to have that undying trust that the guy next to you in the room and the guy next to him and the guy next to him are all pulling on it in the same direction. And right now, that's not been the case. 
and you can't trust that your teammates are going to do that. And when they're not doing it, then you try and do too many things. So you're almost trying to do somebody else's job. And you guys know what I say about that. Do your job. When you're trying to do somebody else's job, now I got two guys not doing their job. And, you know, I, I don't think that it's a situation where they don't care. I, I really don't. There'd be no reason to battle back in some of those games that they've clearly battled back in. Uh, so I don't think it's that. I think they want to win. I think they're a team right now win-aversive where they're finding ways to lose. And a lot of it is self-inflicted wounds, segments in games, little plays, details that's not getting it done. Um, Jake tweets in and says, with your perspective as a goalie, if you were Brian Elliott and and coming up to the end of your contract, would you still want to re-sign with the Flyers after the play in front of you this year? I still think Elliott is solid, but our goalies haven't had much help. Well, I mean, if you ask Brian Elliott that right now, he's probably going to say, no, <laughs> because the structure has not been great. I mean, you look at the, the the second goal of the game last night was the Justin Braun block shot. Now, the first goal off Justin Braun, I mean, that thing was going to Toledo, <laughs> the shot. It hits off him and goes in. It's just bad luck. The second one, though, uh, Braun just needs to chip that puck deep instead of trying to fire it to the net. When you're struggling, you make some poor decisions. And in that situation, there's no lane to the net. He fires it into the shin guards of Shan, and then it's going the other way. Does a good job to kind of mute Shan, and Provorov mutes the second guy, but the back check is not coming to be able to uh, pick up the, the, the last guy, the third guy, the trailer, who then ends up scoring the goal. I don't know who, which player didn't get back or was in a position. I know three players were forward in the zone. Um, it wasn't a home game, so I wasn't in the building to be able to see it. And we're kind of held to only see what the TV shows us. Jake Voracek was spinning down low at the time. I went back and looked at it. Claude Giroux was angling towards the net to go for a rebound on the shot. And so, so I don't know if either one of those players didn't bust it to get back. I, do, I don't know. We just we didn't see it. But uh, as far as Elliott goes, um, I mean, I think it's a good situation to have a veteran goaltender here and I would hope that he would stay here. With him, you just gotta you just gotta be careful of usage. You don't want to overuse him. And right now they've had to. All right, let's do two more. Let's go to Dave TX. He says, We often talk about the quote high hockey IQ of many of our forwards. Do some of our defensemen though lack that? He said, I see a lot of issues that aren't execution, their decision making or lack of situational awareness. Um, yeah, right now I, I would say that that is the case. There's guys that when they activate into the offensive zone, they don't realize right away that they're a defenseman. They got to get back into position. That that forward covering the point is not the best option to defend. Um, there's also, you know, you know, plays in your own zone, forcing it up the strong side when you can reverse the puck and come out of your zone cleanly on the weak side. Those things, and when you're playing bad, they're compounded. Um, and those things take time for defensemen. It's going to happen to young defensemen, and you learn eventually. And right now they're they're suffering through that. But to your question, I think, is very valid. All right, last question from Larry Gambrell. He says, what's going on with them? How did they go from contender to, quote, wait till next season? That That's the million-dollar question, Larry. And, and, again, it's not just losing Matt Niskanen. It's part of it, but I think it's, it's only a small part of it. There's no way that the removal of Matt Niskanen should be this many steps backwards. So what is it? Is it partially COVID? Maybe. Is it 
partially guys didn't develop the the way that we hoped? Absolutely. Overall, it's a it's the confluence of a bunch of things that have really set them back. Can they come into next year and just bounce right back? I don't know. I can only measure things based on what I'm seeing in the present. What I'm seeing right now is not good enough. So while we measured coming into this season based off last season, which is fair. I mean, no team is the same year to year, even if it's essentially the same roster like this one was. But And you have to forge your own identity, which I don't think that they've done. They have not forged an identity. And a team without an identity is a team that's, that's to me, got very little chance. And they've never forged their identity. So I don't know if they're a team that can just bounce back next year and all of a sudden some of the young players start taking big steps again and the detail play is there. I don't know. Uh, That's for Chuck Fletcher to figure out and figure out the dynamic of this team. I think there will be some significant change to the team going into next year. All right, that's going to put a wrap on this episode of Flyers Daily. I hope it uh, was cathartic. And again, I wish it was an April Fool's joke, but it's not. And we start a new month and a new games uh, in a new month, starting with the New York Islanders, Boston Bruins, who we haven't seen in a while, not since Tahoe. So hopefully things go in the right direction. We don't have all the answers. I wish I did. I don't. I don't know that anybody that does. The only per, the only people that need to find the answers are the are, are the guys playing the games. They need to find the answers. We can't find them for them. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you on tomorrow's brand new Flyers Day. Get down.